All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. This is our first podcast since the games in the Sixers versus Raptors series began. The last one we did was previewing this series, and I think it's it's took some interesting turns, which we will get into in a second. But before we do that, just so I'm not completely rude, how you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. The uh, the series has taken a, a few twists. I mean, one one massive one. That that Sixers performance last night. Ooh, I did not see that one coming. No, and so the first game was bad on both ends of the court. Like Sixers got pretty thoroughly outplayed. Um, pretty much any fear you may have had coming into the series um, was shown in that game one. Then game two comes out. Really good adjustments by Brett Brown defensively. They compete much better. They really flummox the Raptors, slow down Siakam. Can't do anything about Kawhi, but shit like that happens sometimes. But they still hadn't been able to figure out that Toronto defense. And that was the sixth consecutive game that Toronto held their opponent under 100 points, which in this day and age is... I mean, I hate using a point-per-game metric, but it's really an accomplishment because of what you're talking about in terms of pace of play. And style of play. They, but then they the, come out and... In the, in the first two games against the Sixers, if you, if you want to use offensive rating, it was the equivalent of the 2015-16. Yes. Jaleel Okafor, Nerland's Noel Club. Which I don't know if you remember that team. It was hashtag not good. So they come out in game three. And you start looking at it, and the Sixers sort of had, had this really weird home road split where they shoot about 38-39% from three-point range at home and about 33% from three on the road. Not weird that there's a difference. Weird that it's that pronounced. It's one of, if not the most pronounced differences in home road shooting splits in the league. And it's been pretty consistent all year. So you go, okay, look, they shot really poorly from three point range. I think right around like 29 or 30% from three over the first two games. Some of that's good Toronto defense. Yes. But some of that is, is they're leaving points on the board. They're not making shots. Maybe they'll shoot a little bit better. Here in game three, you look at it and you say, okay, well, there's no way Joel Embiid, as bad as he played in in games one and two, he's going to get going at some point in the season or in a series. And you looked at it optimistically like that. You certainly saw room for improvement, but I don't think anyone saw that 116 point outing against this Raptors team and the way that they, you know, they shot, what was it? Uh, I should have this 10 for 23 from three point range. Joel Embiid, obviously had 33 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks, and three assists. If you go to John Johnson, WIP's Twitter handle, he has some pretty pretty rare company that that is in for the playoffs. And everything sort of clicked on all cylinders in a way that we just haven't seen from this team. Like, even when they were playing against the Nets, and they had some really good wins against the Nets, that game five. Game obviously stands out where they started off with, like, a 25-3 to run or whatever it was. But in terms of just taking it to a high-level opponent, a real legitimate title contender, I mean, they've had some wins. That you know, Golden State game, again, sticks out. The Houston game, even though it was without Chris Paul, sticks out. But they just took it to this Toronto team, a team that has caused them a lot of problems all season long, a team that up until that point in the season, they were 1-4 against Kawhi Leonard. That was one of, if not the best wins of the season, and I think it's pretty easy too. I think it's one of the best wins of the process, man. Might probably the best one. Uh, your point on Embiid, I, I think Shield tweeted this out last night: thirty plus points, ten plus rebounds, five plus block games in the previous ten postseasons for everybody in the NBA. One this year by JoJo. Two, like th- these counting yeah. stats. I know they can be manipulated, and sometimes. You know, I feel like if you if you fiddle around on basketball references, uh, play oh, index you know, Nerlens all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can find something. Still, man, it is pretty wild that this guy. Uh, it, it just seems like he's doing something somewhat unprecedented. Every game, he was fantastic. I I, I don't think we. Uh, I think that that game really put uh, really put it clearly. The Sixers getting a split in Toronto with him being that bad on the offensive end was massive, man. It was, I mean, he was terrible from the field in game two and he makes 
the critical bucket at the end of the game. He was, it's, it's pretty unbelievable that, uh, he, he not only bounced back against Gasol, he was as good as it gets. And, you know, I thought, thought Brett Brown did a nice job. They are running a crap ton of pick and roll now to make Marc Gasol yep. defend in space. And I, I think that's, that shows that's a good adjustment by Brett and, and by Joe, because, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. Like Joe is not the traditional pick and roll dive guy. He's not DeAndre Jordan where he's going to go crush oops that you throw, you know, five feet above the rim. But this is how you like when you go strength to strength against Gasol, it, it has not been working. And they, they did a really good job mixing it up. And uh, that uh, that windmill, man. Whew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. Um, like you said on the pick and roll, we, we you, me, and Kyle, uh, we sort of have a tradition where we sit courtside and watch some, uh, you know, watch some warm ups. Usually Embiid and Redick. Uh, it's right around that time when we're done with all of our interviews and whatnot. You know, but we 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 talked about that. We said he can't just with the way that they are, you know, sort of soft hedging that pick and roll with Gasol. He can't just pop. He's going to have to get a little more rolling action in there. It's probably going to be short rolls that Greg Monroe was so so successful with uh, in the previous game. And they came out and they ran that constantly down the stretch. Um, they executed very well. Go check out Rich's article over at theathletic.com slash Sixers. And, and he has some examples there of that. But pretty much any time where we've sit, sat there and we go, okay, well, Brett has to make this adjustment. The team has to do this. They have to overcome this. In the course of these two playoff series now, or at least a series and a half, they've done so, and they found the right answer, and that's been pretty impressive. You know, I think, uh, moving back, and we'll get to Butler because he's been super impressive as well, and for a player who, you know, we spent a solid part of two to three months saying, you know, is this the result of aging in minutes, or is there still another gear left in Jimmy Butler? And boy, has he answered that. <laughs> and on, on both ends of the court, too. Like, I think a lot of people are going to focus on the pick and roll and the offense and creating for his teammates and taking over in the fourth quarter. And those are all valid, but outside of maybe that one half of game one, where he just got roasted by Kawhi Leonard, who is roasting everybody else, but I felt like he didn't play him all that well. He's been playing very good defense as well. And, and sort of that, you know, both of them and Tobias Harris too, uh, you know, hat tip to Tobias Harris, who just played probably the best defensive game of his Sixers career. Last night against the uh, uh, against the Raptors, um, whether that was defending Gasol in the post, and the Sixers started off with the more traditional matchups with Embiid on Gasol, but pretty quickly switched. I think it was on the next uh, next rotation, the next next time that Harris and Embiid were subbed back in, where they went back to the game two matchups, where they had Harris defending Gasol in the post, and Gasol right now is super tentative as an offensive player. Like I certainly think that. Harris is getting by at times because Gasol just doesn't want to be a scorer. But he's been chasing dudes off the three-point line really hard and really aggressively. He's been making the right rotations, which is probably my biggest, you know, forget about physical, can he, can't he? He just wasn't making the right rotations for, you know, quite a while after the trade. He's That hasn't been the case here in the last two games. Uh, and he has he's defended Gasol in the post. Just a, a bunch of players right now who over the last two games have really stepped it up on the defensive side of the court. They're basically telling Gasol, post me up, you coward. Do it. Uh, <laughs> and he – honestly, the whole Raptors, it's it's turned into shoot a three, you coward. And it really has. He uh, – you know, I thought Harris's rotations were great. In, in the second half of that game, it was uh, – and the first half too. The Sixers – They've been more willing to double, whether that's Leonard or, or Gasol when he does uh, decide to post up Harris. Like they, they are willing to kind of get in scramble situations. And, God, they had these multiple effort plays last night where they would close out. And Toronto would it, – it, it's funny, on the broadcast, I think Mike Breen was like good ball movement. But no, not really because they weren't getting a good no. shot. They are just kind of playing hot potato. And yep. the uh, – that was, I mean, that was the, the story of the game in a lot of ways where it was just Kawhi basically by himself. Uh, real quick, what'd you, uh, that's the best crowd we've ever heard, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, I, I went back and I compared it to last year's Boston series 
which I thought was disappointing. And yeah, they came back from Boston down 0-2. Like, I get that. That factors into it. You know, but you you win both games at home and you can flip that series. And the crowd, even from the tip in game three, was just never into it like they were last night. Uh, That was by far the best crowd of the process. I mean, that's the best crowd to me since, you know, maybe 0-2-0-3 when the Sixers were uh, still hanging on to relevancy during those Iverson years. That was that was a, a, a very good crowd, and they give the fans a lot of credit in the building because they were they were phenomenal. Sunday should be fun in that regard as well. The uh, and we're not going to be homers here, but uh, we were both in Toronto, and I think that's you know that's a good, good fan, crowd too. That's a good fan yep. base. Um, they they have that Jurassic Park thing outside. I don't know why. Anybody would stand out there in 40-degree weather, uh, but it, it seems like I, – I know this is an obvious point to make. Toronto, uh, pretty cold, everybody. So, oh. <laughs> so no, but like it, it's a good fan base, but it's just not as loud as it was in uh, in the Farg last night. They uh, The Sixers fans really brought it. And, yeah, the team just kind of played inspired basketball. That, that seemed like the most fun Joel Embiid has ever had on a basketball court last night. Yeah, pretty much every every dance move he has in his arsenal, he pulled out at some point last night. Um, and it's a lot more fun when you play well. Um, and you know, Joel, for all of his struggles in games one and two, he was he was really good and really important in what the Sixers did defensively. But you know, busting out for thirty three points like that, that's going to put anybody in a, a better mood, especially when you've had you know some struggles. I think sometimes struggles make the, make the success more fun, and that was a coming out party for him uh, you can kind of turn back some of the narrative of him not being able to not that he wasn't anyone ever thought he wasn't able to but that he hadn't had much success against Marcus Gasol um he came out right from the jump and he was aggressive and he was pretty varied in his moves like he had a face up then he had a spin move in the post and then he just bulldozed over him and then he had a rip through that he got called like he he was he took it to him in pretty much every way he could and he by the by that fourth quarter run, he was certainly enjoying himself. I think it's a good sign too that you know, when you rewatch that game too, Joe plays terrible offensively. Uh, you can tell he's sick. He had the uh, the shits as he called it. Uh, there's like the the image on TV where he's like burping or coughing or whatever that is, and he just does not look yeah, like he was. Some people questioned, like, are they trying to cover up for like more knee pain than than we think? No, he was he was legitimately sick. You could tell that pregame. You could tell that watching the game. You could tell that on some of the camera close-ups. He was most certainly under the weather. Yeah. So, but but he deals with that, and you know, he obviously has the big bucket at the end of the game. Great ball fake and great great spin back to his right there for the bucket on Gasol. But you know, again, didn't play very well offensively. But I think it's a good sign to just see him like he was so fired up after Tobias got the rebound to, to end the game. Like these guys, they seem very locked in from a competitive standpoint. And it seems like, I think part of the worry with this team is like, are are there too many mouths to feed? Uh, How are they going to balance the egos? It seems like these guys are very locked in on the, on the task at hand and they're just trying to win games, which is, which is obviously a good sign, and, and and he led the way. But yes, it uh, it certainly feels good when you are making your threes and you are you are windmilling and getting all these end ones. He was uh, he was great. And I guess the the other thing we we need to talk about, which has been good for the last two games, his defense has been great, particularly on Pascal Siakam, his countryman. Yeah, yep, and and good adjustment by Brett. You know he. You look at the numbers with Pascal, and he's a really good corner three-point shooter. I think it was 42% from the corners, but really struggles once he gets above the break. I think it falls like 26%. Which is great because and Joe tells you that right after. He's like, he yeah. can't shoot from up there. <laughs> Brett's super secretive of like any, even the most obvious basic um, you know, strategy stuff at this time of year. And then Joel's like, yeah, I'm just told I can't leave him in the corner, but anything above the break, I can help off him. And it's like, Joe, you're probably not supposed to be saying that, but, actually. But maybe but he is. Maybe true. maybe he's telling it's him to, to make a three, you coward. And that's kind of the, the mind Take, game he's playing. Taking above the break three, you coward. Yeah. Um, but no, he's been playing really well, and he's the only one who can really have a prayer of either keeping up with Siakam or challenging him at the rim. And that's been, you know, I, I think Brett right now maybe doesn't want to do that all game. 
And clearly he didn't because he started off game three back to the classic matchups. Um, but as a change of pace or even, you know, I'd say I haven't gone back and rewatched the game yet, but I'd say he was probably defending Siakam slightly more than half of the possessions on, uh, yeah. on uh, when they were matched up. And it helps him a little bit as a, a help defender, too, because rather than being pulled out to the top of the key like he is with uh, with Gasol, he's at the, the corner, which, you know, when he's ready and willing to commit, he can help off of a little easier. So it's helped, um, they, you know, but really, I just think the – go ahead. I think they're more willing to let Mike Scott play against Gasol. Uh, I think p- part of that is they don't want to wear Tobias out completely. And uh, by, yeah. the, by the way, I, I do need to read this Mike Scott quote out on, on Embiid's windmill. That's tough for a man that size. So when he did it, I was like, oh, shit, hell yeah. Like, yo, man, that was dope. Um Mike Scott, man, he's a folk hero in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think I think the comparison I heard, and this might have been on the Ricky, um, was that you know comparing him to um, uh, Matt Stairs. I made that, that complex. Oh, did, did you make that? Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Don't steal that um, take from me, Ricky. People, no, I don't. <laughs> I, it's it's a very easy comparison to make. You know, he doesn't he doesn't yet have that one signature moment, so you don't want to put him at that level yet. But in terms of a guy that's really easy, you know, role player who's really easy to get behind, it's it's a fitting comparison. But I think, he, you know, now that I ahead. said that he doesn't have the signature moment and I got a lot of blowback. Well, making a three in the, the playoffs isn't a signature moment. And it's yeah, like that's not the same. It's not the same as hitting a ball 800 miles into the Los <laughs> Angeles sky to basically <laughs> clinch a World Series berth. You know, it's, right. it's a little different. Right. Was that another one off Broxton? Who was that off of? Was that off of? Might have been off Jansen. I don't know. Oh, you're you're gonna make me go watch the highlight right now because I will watch that highlight anytime. Um, yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh, you know, I think now that that Mike Scott is back, I'll be interested to see whether or not he gets. I think he only got like maybe 13 minutes in game. Uh, you know, in game three, it'll be interesting as he gets more back into things whether or not that increases. You know, but you had sort of that low period of the bench in game two after Greg Monroe went down with the, uh, the ankle sprain and Mike Scott was out and you had like a momentary bit of panic from Brett Brown. One of the few mistakes I think he's made here in these playoffs. <laughs> you didn't know where to put the game. Up, yeah. And you looked up at one point and there's Boban in there and Bolden in there. And I think Furkan Korkmaz was in there in that lineup. It's like, Oh my God, what is going on? And that only lasted like two or three minutes. And then I got, sort of got back on track. But now with, you know, Monroe back and Mike Scott back and James Ennis just playing his freaking tail off. Rich, the Sixers bench has outplayed Toronto's bench and they have done so pretty handily through three games. And that is certainly not something. And look, I understand that Toronto is not in their bench mob glory days. Uh, this is not the same bench. But given their regular season play, this was this should have been a strength for Toronto. And Fred Van Vliet has just completely fallen off the face of the earth. He doesn't look like he has any confidence right now in his outside shot. Nor- Norman Powell has been up and down, and Serge Ibaka has been pretty bad. And, uh, you know, for as much as we talked about, you know, like Kyle Lowry, he's really strong at the point of attack, and he's a tough post defender and you can't move him. And Norman Powell sort of shares some of the same similarities to that. There's still a point where they've got to be able to reach up and defend and get a hand in the opponent's face. And they're just too short to do that. So if you can get good post position on either of those guys, you can shoot over them and they can't get anything offensively right now. And really nobody outside of the Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard can. So being able to, first of all, extend these, these minutes and, the Sixers have extended it with the exception of Embiid. They've extended these minutes pretty high and you don't need, you know, James, James Ennis right now, I think he played like 24 minutes in game, uh, in game three. And part of that's because he's just playing his, his, his ass off right now. Um, but you don't need big minutes from your bench. You know, they've TJ McConnell's out of the rotation. And that's something where, you know, when we were talking about this team, in February and in March, it's like, okay, it's one thing if TJ McConnell and Boban Marjanovic are playing now. If you want to eat up some minutes now, preserve your 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 starters, preserve your stars. 
fine. But when the playoffs come, you can't play Boban against Toronto and Milwaukee and Boston. You can't play TJ against his teams or they're just going to, you know, get him switched onto the guy that they want to isolate and go to work. And to Brett Brown's credit, and it, you know, these aren't the most uh, high level adjustments he's made in this series, but you have Jimmy Butler being the team's backup point guard full time. Like, and frankly, he's been the quote unquote point guard, at least the guy initiating the offense from a pick and roll. A lot of times when Ben's been on the court too, you have Boban out of the rotation. Now it wasn't for any of the options we thought it would be, but Greg Monroe to his credit and to Elton Brand's credit too, like he's come in and he's given this team good minutes and he's a little more mobile than Boban and that's worked out for the Sixers. And do I think he's ever going to be a great defender? No, he's not. But he's been good enough, and he's hit the glass, and he's contributed offensively, and and this bench is outplaying the Raptors, and I still, it sounds crazy as I say it, but it it has absolutely happened. Did you have the stat that the the Raptors starters have outscored the Sixers starters in the series? Is that still the case by a little bit? Yeah, Raptors are up 89 to 83 in about 37 minutes of play when both when the entirety of both teams starting lineups are on the court. So that's Sixers starting 5 against Raptors starting 5, nothing else. You make one either team makes one of the one sub from those 10 players and it doesn't count. Now, a lot of people will say like, "Okay, but that's because Kawhi and Siakam went bananas in uh in game 1." That's actually not the case. Sixers worst plus minus in this series from starting lineup versus starting lineup was game 2. When uh, I think the Raptors were a they made plus that, twelve, they made that third quarter run against them. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, they're just which will be interesting. Like I, I don't, I, I think we'll see how that plays out now that Embiid's back to playing well and the Sixers are playing at home and and yada yada yada. But uh, you know, through the first two games, it was an issue for sure. I think a lot of that's because uh, you could probably two things. First of all, you could probably mirror those to just Kawhi being on the court. Like the Raptors are outscoring the Sixers when Kawhi's on the court and the Sixers are up like plus 30 when Kawhi's on the bench. So that's a big part of it. And also because Embiid was struggling against Gasol over those first two games. Yeah. They're just dominating those transitional lineups. And I think something that Nick nurse, you know, he really has to look at is that he still has not matched Mark Gasol's minutes with Embiid's and I just think Abaka is, is just, he's not going to get it done against Joel. And they're just, when, you know, the Sixers, especially like last night, Kawhi, what, he leaves for two minutes in the in the fourth quarter and the Sixers go on 11 0 run and the game's over. I think they're, uh, again, like this is a small sample, but I think they're in 27 minutes. The Raps are minus 52.5 net rating. Uh, in those 27 minutes when Kawhi is not playing. So that's not great. Um, to to not be competitive in a game where Kawhi played that well, some of the shots he was hitting last night are just ridiculous. Like at, at the end of the game, we kind of talked about it. Brett and Brett made the adjustment. You couldn't really see it too much because the game was kind of uh, out of hand in the fourth quarter. But but after he has that third quarter where he goes six for six and he's making threes and he's making wrong-footed uh, jumpers. And my God, the dunk he had in the first half where he jumped off his left foot and dunked it with his left hand. He's just incredible. Uh, they just started to double him and say, that, that's fine. Like I, We'll give up an open three or, or see if you guys can work it around because I'm sick of having this guy uh, just just light us up. For the Raptors to not be competitive when he plays that well, not a good sign, man. And what is he? I wonder, what do you think he's shooting on mid-range jumpers in this series? A hundred percent. I I think the number is like in the 60s. If if I That's insane. And these That's are insane. these are hard shots, man. Yeah, right. Uh he is he's unbelievable. So I, I don't know exactly how to look at that because it doesn't seem like the Sixers can do anything to slow him down, but if there's a game where he's just missing jumpers, and again, these shots are impossible that he's making, or he just shoots them at an average clip, like, man, they could be in a lot of trouble. I think, you know, God, you look you look ahead to game four, they're going to need a great performance from him, I would imagine. Um, the Sixers are just dominating those uh, those transitional lineups, and 
it's kind of a, a key to the series is that I think Brett has just been better than again. I, I don't think Nick Nurse. It's Nick Nurse's fault that Fred Van Vliet and Lowry and and Green and all these guys forgot how to shoot. But I think at the margins, Brett is making better moves than him. Yeah. No. I think I think Brett has now. Yeah. I, I, in all honesty, I don't remember if I've said this or not because we re- had to re-record part of this podcast um, because of a computer freeze up. Uh, so apologies if I've said this, but I think, you know, Brett, I think has now outcoached Kenny Atkinson. Uh, I think in the first half of the series, he's outcoached Nick nurse. And I think the moves that he has made pretty much every time when you've said they've got to make this adjustment or they've got to, um, you know, they've got to do this better or like they should make this lineup change. I think the Sixers have responded and I think Brett's responded. And I think the team has responded. Um, again, you can go back to, halftime of game two or game three when Joel wasn't available against the Nets or, or or what has happened so far in this series and the competitive response they've had defensively in game two and then putting all together in game three. And, you know, you you mentioned that Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, um, Norman Powell lineup that the Raptors ran out to start the fourth quarter. And Kawhi just played one of the most incredible quarters of basketball I've ever seen. It was ridiculous. 14 points, six for six shots. And, it's, and like you said, they were tough shots. It's not like Ben Simmons was playing bad defense. But in order to do that, the Raptors had to play uh, Leonard the entirety of that third quarter. And the Sixers had to lead up to 18 points at one point in the third. Raptors cut it to eight by the end of the third and then had a technical on Simmons to start the fourth. So what had once been an 18-point lead was down to seven. But the Raptors, they had to rest, rest Leonard just a little bit, just two or three minutes, maybe four minutes, so he could then play the rest of the game out. And in that you know, three minutes or so, I don't even think it was three minutes, like it was like two and a half minutes, Sixers used a 10-0 run to blow the game open. And the Raptors just cannot do anything when Kawhi is on the bench. Um, that run ended up extending the 21-2 to and, and really put the game away. And you're right, the Sixers, they're, I think they're mixing and matching of their rotations and the lineups and how to mix in their bench pieces has been better. Um, that Van Vliet Powell Lowry lineup, I think is like a negative 30 or something in the series in pretty minor minutes. Like I think it was something like they were negative 27 in 30 minutes of play or something like that. So you're, you're pretty much starting with like a 10 point deficit every game. And there's just when Kawhi goes to the bench, like where are you getting your offense? Especially if Kyle Lowry is going to play like this and Fred Van Vliet is just not going to take those shots. I just, I don't know what the Raptors will do. Now, look, we go away. Brett Brown loves to run out the stat that the Raptors were the best um, three point shooting team since the all-star break or since the trade deadline, which same thing. And that's true. They were like, I think they shot over 41% from that point. And you could sort of draw a parallel of, you know, when Marcus all got there and maybe the ball movement improved a little bit and they ran a lot of offense through him in the high post and when he's facing up. And again, I think that could theoretically help improve your three point shooting, but they were also a very mediocre shooting team up until that point, up until the trade deadline, they were not a bad shooting team, but I want to say somewhere around like 20th or 22nd in the league in terms of three point percentage. So was that improvement something you can count on? Are they just a little bit of a streaky three-point shooting team and people were focused a little too much on what they had done in a portion of the schedule, which quite frankly, a lot of teams aren't really trying during. So I expect the Raptors to have a game where they shoot well, where Kyle Lowry remembers how to play basketball. And I think that will be something the Sixers will have to overcome. But you're absolutely right. Like right now they need a just absolutely incredible performance from uh, Kawhi Leonard to have any kind of a chance. And even that isn't enough these last two games. I I like the idea of doubling him too, because even though he did make some good passes towards the end of game two, he's not a great passer. It's not his best. It's it's his worst attribute and he's still pretty good at it. Like he's not a disaster, but it's, it's the thing that comes least natural to him. Uh, Right. And especially when, when the people you're passing it to are hesitant, it's a lot easier to run someone off the three-point line if they want to be run off the three-point <laughs> line. Want, and right now, they look like they want to. They all want to be, be run, run off the three-point three three line. Yeah. And it's like you said. I, I again, I don't remember if this was in the part of the podcast that we had to redo or not. I don't remember. But you can confuse good ball movement with indecision, 
And right now, I think the Raptors have a lot more indecision than they have good ball movement, or at least productive ball movement, because they're going from great to average in terms of their shots. And uh, that 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 helps when you want to double team a superstar player like Kawhi Leonard. You mentioned the bench. Just, just real quick, give it up for uh, James Ennis and Greg Monroe, both playing really well. Great performances. Uh, yep. James Ennis, like... And, and- you know, we we have not been Greg Monroe believers, uh, but he has been incredible over these last two games and deserves a lot of credit. Oh, my God. His first half of, of game two, I tweeted, put that in the Smithsonian. He was unbelievable. Yeah. He he made some great – he kind of set the template when we were talking about what the Sixers need to do for Joe. I, I couldn't believe some of the plays he made on the, uh, on the short roll. And I think he had a Euro step past Kawhi. He just did – just did a tremendous job. Um, and then his, his mislayup last night was the, the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. Uh, and it was, he's playing so well that such a gaff like that, everybody is laughing with you basically on that one. It's just, it's really an amazing thing. It helps when they're up 20 too. Yeah. yeah. And he's, and he's playing great. And then, you know, Ennis is getting a lot of praise from, from a lot of people and, Rightfully so. He's crashing the glass. Go guy. He loves it. Uh, he's great. He's been every time we ever talk to James Ennis, he mentions how much he loves being a go guy. And we were, he was in the locker room after game two and you were talking to him. And I remember just coming up and like, did he say it? Did he say go guy? And you're like, yeah, he, he, he said, I love being a go guy. He can't go an interview without it. It's fantastic. He's, he's done really good stuff. It, it doesn't look great when he, uh, He's made some plays off the uh, attack and closeouts when, uh, you know, the Raptors kind of load up against whether it's Embiid or, or Butler or somebody and the ball gets swung to Ennis. He's made some plays in terms of driving and, uh, you know, the pull up isn't always pretty, but I think he had a couple N1s up in Toronto. He's done a really great job. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just funny. Uh, that we talk about these regular season issues so much and like, like what else are we going to do? Like it's, you know, we're here to follow a basketball team, but it's just hilarious that we've been concerned about this bench the whole season. And these guys are in the second round of the playoffs and they're outplaying Toronto badly. It's uh Greg Monroe signed on what? April 5th. I think it's just, uh, it's just tremendous. I mean, he, he, you know he'll get a ring if either of these teams wins the championship, but uh, he's playing like he wants to be a part of it, which uh, which is cool. Um, he's been yeah, I he's mean, been great in terms of the bench. They did start the playoffs with Jonathan Simmons in the rotation, <laughs> and we did say like Boban can't play, and they were playing Boban a lot. So I think it was it was natural to be concerned about that. Um. And, you know, there was like TJ was getting very regular minutes up until the start of the playoffs, too. So I think part of it is that what needed to be shrunk was shrunk. And that helps. And part of it is that Craig Monroe is just playing much better than I would have expected. And I don't know if that means my evaluation of Greg Monroe was off or if he's playing a little bit over his head or a combination of both. that. But it certainly has been a boost that they can put him in there right now, and Toronto hasn't been able to take advantage of him. And not only not only has Toronto not been able to take advantage of him, but he's given him a real legitimate boost as well. All right, we've gone too long without talking about the uh, the adult in the room. He James James don't call me Jamathan. don't call me James Jimmy Butler has just been unbelievable the last couple of nights. Um, you know, I think it, the place I want to start with him is in game two when in the first quarter of that game, he just starts launching threes and you're looking around like what? I've never seen this before from him. Not, not in the Sixers (laughs) uniform. He shot 10 threes in that game. It was the most threes he has shot as a Sixer. And it was a great sign. It's, it's what we've been saying the whole time. Like, man, just, just shoot it. Like when you're open, like take those catch and shoot shots. And, he did, and it it ended up paying off because the Embiid bucket was obviously huge, but the other huge bucket was uh, was when Embiid got doubled, basically threw the ball over his head in what was simultaneously just an a brilliant and 
an unbelievably lucky pass at the same time. And he found Butler who, who made a three uh, kind of over Kyle Lowry. I think it was to put the Sixers up seven. That was, that was great. And then, you know, last night they, they put the ball on his hands with those pick and rolls that we were talking about. And he continued to make the right decision. And I think, you know what I think is will, will be interesting for game four. He was killing the Raptors so much on those pick and rolls that, that sneakily, it was only for a couple minutes at the end and the, and the game was kind of already out of hand. The Raptors put Kawhi Leonard on him. And I, I will be interested to see if they start that game with Kawhi on him. And it's funny on the one play, he kind of threw a pocket pass to Embiid. He gets the end one and then Embiid starts doing like the pointing celebration. Uh, and I think part of the reason he was able to do that is Ben Simmons again is kind of running the baseline on the dunker spot. That's Danny green instead of Kawhi Leonard. That, uh, that'll be something interesting to look for going forward. But yeah, it's just, you know, the, the competitiveness, uh, the, you know, get, getting up for the playoffs, the the defense. It's been uh, it, it's been everything you hope for when you got Jimmy. He uh, it, it's it's not always the smoothest ride. As everybody who uh, who's paid close attention to this team, there were times during the season where he was a maddening player. But God, these last two games, he's been money. Yeah, another five three point attempts in game three. Only made one of them. But shooting them is, is very important. You know, if there's two concerns you have with this starting lineup offensively, it's turnovers and then it's shooting. You know, you need so much pressure is on JJ Redick and Tobias Harris, but really spacing comes down to all five people. Um, you can see that sometimes with Joel Embiid when you want to post up Ben Simmons. And becoming a better shooter is going to be a very big focus for Joel, or at least it should be a very big focus for Joel in the offseason. Like he should be a 35% three point shooter and you hope that he gets there. Um, and the fact that he hasn't so far is one of the few things you can actually be disappointed in, in terms of Embiid's development, but that comes down to Jimmy Butler too. And you've got, we've, and we've talked about this so many times where you've got such a weird construction where you've got a non-shooting point guard, a post up big, and then you're trying to run a, a pick and roll guy on top of that. And, you know, Butler's not like a Kemba Walker pick and roll guy where he's going to take just a, you know, bomb you with step back three pointers. He wants to get into that paint. So it's took a little time, I think, for everybody to get sort of on the same page and to find their fourth floor spots. But this was, I mean, this was always a skill set you wanted the Sixers to have. And that's why they drafted Markel Fultz. Um, You know, my least favorite conversation on Twitter is, is Ben Simmons a point guard or they're playing better because he's not a point guard. And it's just not how I think about basketball in, in, in 2019. Um, to me, a, are you a point guard is, do you trust them with the decision-making? But in terms of a skill set, pick and roll was always something you valued. That's why we talked about pairing Markel with Simmons uh, in that draft class. So to have somebody like Butler now who you can give him the ball spread the floor and trust his both scoring and decision-making. Like now you're able to attack, you know, um, Brooklyn's biggest defensive weakness outside of post defense. So maybe second biggest weakness. And you're able to attack Toronto's biggest weakness. And this, this was something this team wouldn't have been able to do even just last year or even at the beginning of this year. And I mean, he, he really has been like every concern you would have had in a regular season. Like, has he lost a step physically? Can he get after it defensively the same way he used to? Is he going to shoot the ball from the perimeter? All of those have been answered. And he still has that. I'm going to take over the game in the fourth quarter. Um, he's been able to get just open look after open look for his teammates. It's been a, it's been a really good Jimmy Butler experience. He was, he was and, getting up off the floor last night. Well, too. Yeah. Yep couple dunks that you didn't no, really see in the, the regular season. There was, yeah, there was, there is absolutely a second, uh, second gear in Jimmy Butler's game, which if he's back, um, I hope everybody can just not overreact to every little concern in the regular season when they lose a game in, you know, November <laughs> and uh, maybe Butler's not at his, at his peak performance. It probably doesn't matter too much, but 
I'm sure we will freak out. So yes. All right. So moving moving on to games four and five. You know, I think one key if the Sixers are to come away winning this series, I don't think you want that going back to Toronto for game seven. That would be a tough environment to get a win for. Not that they can't, uh, because when you have as much talent as, as this team does, they clearly can. But you would want to pick up two of the next three. So I guess what is your biggest concern if you were a Sixers fan heading into games four, specifically game four, but the next three games of this series, if the Sixers don't pick up two of the next three wins, how does that look? You know, it's hard to say. I, I can't really think of a kind of a tangible X and O concern as much. I, I guess I'm I'm worried about Leonard continuing to go off and we'll see what adjustments nurse has to me. I think the main concern going into game four is, uh, is just kind of overconfidence and maybe coming out flat after such a great performance. Cause I, I, I gotta imagine the Raptors are going to bring it on, on Sunday. This is going to be a long two days off for them, man. Uh, they're, if they don't come back ready to play on Sunday, then, then I guess they're just not the team we really, we really thought they were. But I, yeah, this next game is super important to me. I think you don't want to boil it down to this because both teams have enough talent that they can win, you know, on the other team's floor, and they can kind of win in other ways. But to me, this is the series. The Sixers can win this game; they will win. Uh, and yeah, I just I wonder what you know what it looks like if Embiid's not making those threes early in the game and uh, maybe the Raptors make an adjustment and they, they turn, you know, Butler and Harris, they kind of play a little more conservatively on the pick and roll, but uh, I don't, it's, it's hard to, cause you know that the Sixers are not as good as they were last night and the Raptors are not as bad as they were last night. But I, I'm I'm struggling. Maybe you could help me out me out on this. I, I'm struggling on what specifically concerns me about that game. Well, I think I think what would concern me is that clearly Toronto can still play extremely high level defense. And do I think they're going to be as effective slowing Embiid down as they were in games one and two? No. Like I think those were aberrations, and part of that, you know, further exacerbated exacerbated by Embiid being under the weather in game two. But I think I think they're a very good defensive team. Um, maybe maybe the best in the Eastern Conference. Although there's some really good defense in the Eastern Conference, they they're competitive with anyone defensively. And I still think the core of it is that they're a tough matchup for Embiid and Simmons. And again, that doesn't mean they're going to stop Embiid like they did in games one and two, but make his life more difficult. So then, if they do that while also like Kyle Lowry remembering how to play basketball, um, Fred Van Vliet remembering that he can actually make a shot at this level. Uh, if they're able to figure that out, you know, they have been getting some decent looks here. They have. From the perimeter that just have, as good as defensive, as the Sixers have played defensively, as much as Embiid is just a force, as well as Butler and 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 Simmons and even Harris that last game have played, like, there have been open shots to take and they took them in game two and they missed and they didn't take them in game three, which um, if you're a Raptors fan would have been maddening, but those shots are still there. So if they have a night where like, you know, Sixers come out and they struggle from the perimeter and maybe Butler doesn't have it going on and the Raptors shoot and shoot really well, like that would be like, at some point I have to believe Kyle Lowry is going to remember how to play basketball. And maybe there's enough evidence out there in the playoffs that he won't. And and maybe he's just a little past his prime and that's never going to come back. But like he's still talented enough where like just one game he has to like accidentally walk himself into like three threes and look competent. And that just hasn't happened so far. And the Sixers have sort of relied on these role players for Toronto just not being quality role players. Like Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Kyle Lowry, even Danny Green for most of the series, like they just have not shown up. So if Kawhi continues to play well and those players have a bounce back game. I, it's not even really X's and O's. It's just execution. It's such a big deal that the Sixers only turned the ball over 13 times last night. If they can just get average uh, in terms of taking care of the ball against this team, like a, a lot yeah, of really good. Yeah. A, a lot of the conversation after game two was like, 
oh man, if, if Toronto had just made a couple of those open shots, they would have won. And that's true. But I also think lost in that analysis was like the Sixers guarded really well, but, uh, but they turned the ball over just, I mean, that was like the, the yep. family guy barfing all over themselves game and they still won because almost half of Toronto's first half points came off of turnovers yeah. in, uh, in, in game one. Yep. Just, just free points. Or game two, I mean, they were giving up and yep. it's, uh, it's a testament to the Sixers defense and, and Toronto missed a few, few open shots, but like they, they guarded really well in that game. And, you know, he, he doesn't have the biggest numbers in this series, but I, I do think Ben Simmons deserves credit for, I mean, just he's playing so many minutes and he's competing with Leonard as much as possible. He's not really stopping him because what, would you say Kawhi, like where would you say I give you anybody in the league to start with for the playoffs? Where would, where would he rank? It's it can't get more than like three or four names, right? No, um, it's tough because those two guys out in the Bay Area, like their numbers aren't going to look as good because they're taking away from each other a little bit. I would accept those but you've two. Got those two. I would accept Harden, Harden and, and LeBron. Giannis. Oh, and, and Giannis. Uh, well, I, I didn't even think of LeBron because he's not in the playoffs. But yeah, yeah. Okay, so like one of the five or six, and he's just been awesome. I I can't believe how good of a shooter he is from from where he started. I I remember God, this is forever ago. San Diego State against Temple in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And Temple <laughs> was giving him a free throw line jumper. It was I think that was like a double overtime game. It was one of the worst double overtime games you've ever seen. Uh it was just like really sloppy and ugly. And they were giving him open free throw line jumpers and he was not taking them. I think he made one and that was like a big deal. It's just unbelievable to see where he is now and God, all the all the ridiculous shots he uh he has made. But Ben Simmons is, you know, he's doing his best against him. And I, you know, I do think uh you know it's it's not always gonna be pretty just because of the jumper and, and all of that stuff, but he uh he's he's competing really hard in this series, and I, I think there is something to be said for that. Um Yeah, no, like the only way Ben's going to like Ben can do almost nothing more to really contest a shot than he's doing. Um, he's been between Kawhi and the basket on most of these shots. He's had a hand in his face short of Ben growing two inches and gaining five inches on his wingspan and becoming Giannis. I don't know what, I don't know what else he's really going to do, especially in that third quarter. Like Giannis or Giannis, uh, Kawhi just made tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. And there's really not uh, the only thing you can do is take the ball out of his hands, which the Sixers did, and we're able to get by with because nobody else in the Raptors wanted to score. Yep. All right. Here's a here's a stat which will close this podcast out on. This is from Mike Lynch. He's one of the guys behind um, Basketball Reference, which I cannot thank enough because it makes my job possible. But he found the eight highest um, five man units best net rating. Eight top uh, five-man unit in terms of net rating with at least 250 minutes of regular season plus playoffs combined. And of course, that is fudging the numbers a little bit in terms of, you know, the 250 minutes to get the Sixers in there. But he, you know, it comes up with eight teams, the Sixers plus 25.4 net rating for this five-man unit is the second highest that showed up in the search tool. Now, I don't know exactly when that goes back to, but there's certainly teams here from the 2000s. Of the remaining seven, you have four five-man units that came from NBA champions, 2011 Dallas, 2016 Golden State, 27 Golden State, 2003 San Antonio, and 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Um, actually, I have two lineups from the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Uh, and then you have... What is it? One other team that went to an NBA final. So five of the seven, uh, no, six of the seven remaining lineups were teams that went to the NBA finals. So in a really poor way, what I'm trying to say here is that teams that have this good of a starting lineup usually make a run to the NBA finals and more times than not end up winning the NBA finals. So what you're saying, see you in Oakland, huh? A couple of weeks. <laughs> Look, we we picked we both picked the Raptors in six. Um, if the Sixers win this, we will own that. We will happily own that because 
while we're not supposed to root for outcomes, we can root for our own bottom line. And the Sixers making a run to the NBA Finals would clearly be good for our bottom line. Um, and I think we're both at the point where we're comfortable if we're wrong. If you do this long enough, that will happen. Uh, I cannot be scared of being wrong. All I can do is try to be honest. And uh, I'd be more than happy if the Sixers outperformed what we thought they were. And by the way, right now I would say they are outperforming what we thought they could. Absolutely. Uh, because they're just playing a world's better defense um, than we had seen up to that point. And, and they're reaching sort of that, you know, I think, well, I think one of the things we said, you know, I think I gave them about a 30% chance of winning that series. And if you think about that, that clearly means I think they have a shot. But I always thought, I always felt like this team was a pretty high variance team. They could go, they could go in wild swings one way or the other. And it was hard to pick what sort of like that expected median value is. And I think right now they're playing certainly based off of game three, but really defensively based off of both games two and three. They're playing closer to that theoretical theoretical peak than the midpoint. Uh, and everyone up and down the roster and the coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for getting them to that point. And we will see whether or not that uh, that continues. I said going into the series, if they could get it to six or seven, I would be pretty impressed. Uh, let's just say, look, long way to go. It's obviously uh, I can do I can do this this math that it's at least going to go six. Obviously, um, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm very hashtag analytics. That's why we hired you. Very smart in yep. that regard. Uh, I've been wildly impressed. Well, I I've mean, it could, it could go five, but that means the Sixers would win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I've been very impressed with them in the first couple of games, and we'll see moving forward. But uh, it's been uh, that performance last night. That was something, and uh, they should be uh, they should be pretty happy with. I, let's let's see what they do. But this is you know as poorly as Toronto is playing, this would be the their best series win of my lifetime. I think I don't know. Are, are the Bucks in 01, Are they better than, than this Toronto team? That's really the only one I can think of. This is, I get it that this team, you know, a lot of their, their players are playing like doo-doo right now, but this would be, this would be pretty big time if they could finish this off. Yeah, it's hard because there's, you know, so much of the NBA has changed. Like, was that Bucks team better than this team? I don't know. I would assume that most teams back then would be worse than most teams right now. It's impossible to Um, say. With the exception of the, you know, the Lakers and like dominant teams like that. But. Oh yeah, I'm just saying for their be, time. You know the Sixers. Oh yeah, and the Sixers were favored in that series against the Bucks, weren't they? Yeah, pretty sure they were favored in that series. They were not favored in this one. So just from that, you know, that standpoint, it would it, it to me it would be more impressive. Um, we'll see, we'll see. It is it has been the last two games have been a stark turnaround. Uh, we'll see if it continues. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.